two weeks ago, I started a message on the beginning of the Christ, and just give a little bit of review on that. We looked at Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14, and how the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah was about to be fulfilled, and Ahaz is being challenged to trust God rather than the Assyrians as he faced threats from his enemies, and Notice in verse 9, he says, the purpose of the sign was to give Ahaz even more confidence to God. He said, ask whatever you want, God will do it. And uh, of course his reply was actually a false piousness. Well, how could I challenge God? And how could I really do this and ask God for this? And of course Isaiah's response reveals that something interesting has taken place here. He says, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? And we see that Ahaz really has a total lack of faith. And, but there's coming a day. And, of course, he's talking about the, the, the birth of the Messiah. And he says in verse 14, um, Therefore, and uh, coming in time of darkness and fighting and war and lack of trust in God and gloom and doom, but there is coming a day. And there was a humbling that had to take place. And the child was born, and Isaiah chapter 9 prophesied that. They're to trust God through it all. The government would be upon his shoulders. And they viewed that as maybe he was the coming king who would take over the Roman uh, government. But that was not the case. He was the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, the prince of peace. And it says that his dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. And then as we looked in Matthew chapter 1, we saw the fruition of that prophecy. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18, and following the birth of Jesus Christ came about on this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what, was, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so we realize that right away that the coming of the Messiah was not just a simple story of a birth of a, another child, he was the Messiah who would bring salvation to mankind. And uh, what a blessing that has continued to be for generations and thousands of years that we actually have a Messiah who came to save the world. And uh, we see that in the situation of all of it, that Joseph decided that he would remain committed to his Heavenly Father and that he would do exactly what God had told him to do. And so he was committed but we realized as we closed the message two weeks ago before our Christmas cantata that there are at least four lessons that we could learn. And I hope that we've contemplated them as we've considered this Christmas season. Number one, times of blessing come after times of humbling. We ask the question, I wonder if we as a nation have to go through times of trouble or humbling to, to experience God's blessing. I believe that there are also times that we just want God's blessing without the sacrifice. And uh, that doesn't happen that way usually. And we said that also, number two, there was a lot of chaos, doom, gloom, and distrust for God before Jesus came. And I have to wonder, sometimes even as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, is there not the same circumstances in the day in which we live today? 
It's all around us. And if you watch any of the news companies that are on TV, you'll find out, my goodness, there's no hope. There's just, I mean, what are we, I mean, we're just waiting for World War III and the apocalypse to take place. But there is hope as God's children. We, we, we trust in the Messiah and what he came here to do. Uh, number three, he said there is a purpose for Jesus coming to earth. And that purpose hasn't changed. And if it was part of God's important purpose for Jesus Christ, it should probably be part of our purpose as well. If he came to seek and to save that which is lost, that ought to be part of our purpose as well. Amen? To seek and to save those who are lost. And then number four, we realize that there is a need for Joseph to trust in God in the details. Oh, how we want to know the details sometimes, right? I mean, if we can see it all laid out, if we can see how it's all going to work together, then, then fine, I'll take the step. But what happens when God says take the step without knowing the details? Uh, that's when it gets a little bit nerve-wracking, right? But we need to trust God in the details. Well, as we continue the story, in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at several verses here, and we're going to continue the story of Jesus' birth, and we're going to see some spiritual climate of day in which Jesus Christ was born. And notice a couple circumstances taking place here. So if you would follow along as I begin reading Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was. The star that had, they, they had seen at its rising, it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented them with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Lord God, I ask as we come before you just for a moment this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And I ask God that the truth of this story and the parallels that we can draw from it for our own life, Lord, might be made in application to how we live for you, Lord, every day. And we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we continue in this story of the birth of Jesus Christ, several things begin to happen. So as Jesus was born, the wise men came to visit him. And I want to concentrate just for a few moments towards the end of the message on the wise men. And I, I mentioned that in Sunday school this morning and everyone got excited. Nobody ever talks about the wise men. There are only three of them, you know, so um, that is sarcastic. Um, so we don't know how many there were, but we're going to kind of learn, learn some things about the wise men that I think we can apply to our hearts and our lives. But as Jesus was born, the wise men came to visit him. However, King Herod was deeply disturbed, and it says all Jerusalem with him. You know, as we hear the story of when Christ was born, we often know the situation with King Herod. But 
do you realize that, as we said a couple weeks ago in the story, that it was a time of chaos. It was a time of fighting and war. It was a time that there was not a lot of peace on earth. And as we look at this, it says not only was King Herod upset and deeply disturbed, the Word of God also says, and all Jerusalem with him. I think there are times in our lives that when we don't know what's going on and when we don't understand something, we kind of react in an adverse way because we're not sure what's taking place. So King Herod was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And I'm reminded of what it says in John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not what? Receive him. So not only is it prophesied that there is the circumstances of the day that were taking place where Herod was upset, all Jerusalem was upset. They don't know what's going on. There is a false pretense taking place. They think he's going to do one thing when the purposes of God are completely different. And the bottom line is, they didn't really understand what he was there for at first. But he made it very clear. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. But the reality of his coming to earth was this. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And not only that, King Herod begins, and we see uh, right away in Matthew chapter 2, that he begins to assemble all the chief priests and scribes to question them as to where the Christ would be born. I mean, I really got to know this. Where is Christ? Uh, you sound, once again, almost as it were with the, with the other previous king in, in, in Isaiah chapter 7, a false spirituality, a false piousness. We want to know where Jesus is. Well, the reality is, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13 says, Do not be, be surprised if the world hates you. Because they don't understand. They don't, they don't have a picture of what has really taken place. And in John chapter 15, verse 18 says, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. So there is really an understanding as to what is going on here. Is that Herod, he doesn't really want to worship the child that would be born. He wants to put him to death. So you have to ask this question, why was there so much hatred for Jesus as he would be born? Well, I think there are two reasons why there is so much hatred. And we see this in verse chapter 2, verse 6. It says this, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because of out of you will come a ruler. That's the first thing that we see and why there's hatred here is because Jesus would be a ruler that was prophesied who would come to rule the people. But how can this child be the ruler if I'm the ruler? I mean, I'm in charge. I'm the one that calls the shots, not him. So once again, there is a jealousy and a pride and an arrogance that says, we don't need him, I'm here. Question, has those kinds of thoughts changed in the last couple thousand years? I can rule just as good as he can. I can rule my life as good as someone else can. I'm my own boss. A ruler whom they didn't believe in was born. Um, it's interesting, this week I watched an interview with a young lady uh, who was in an auditorium similar to this with a lecturer up front who was allowing the student body at this particular university to ask whatever questions they wanted, and he would address it from the Bible as much as possible. And so this young lady comes up to the microphone, and she says, Do you, sir, believe that I am going to hell? 
And the professor began to speak, and she goes, you're not answering my question. Do you believe that I'm going to hell? And the professor looked at, or the lecturer looked down at this young lady, and he says, well, why would a God that you don't believe in force you to spend eternity with him? Well, that's not my question. My question is, am I going to hell? And so the lecturer, once again, looks at the young lady and says, let me ask you a couple questions before I answer that question. Do you believe in God? Well, no, I don't believe in God. I don't think you can prove the existence of God, so why would I believe in a God that you can't prove the existence of? And the lecturer looked at him, looked at the young lady once again and says, well, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And I don't believe in Christianity at all, she says. So you don't believe in God, you don't believe in Jesus Christ, but you're worried as to whether or not I think you're going to hell. And she looks at him and says, well, I just want to know the answer. And he says, why do you care? Because I just want to know. He says, if I could give you an understanding of what, if, whether or not there is a God, and whether or not Jesus Christ came to this earth, would it change your mind about being, believing in hell or the absence of hell? No. Then why do you care whether or not you're going there? Or if you're going there? Well, I just want to know the answer. Do you think I'm going to hell? And finally, the professor says, I know that I'm going to heaven. And I know that I'm going to heaven based on the fact that Jesus Christ came down to this earth as a baby. He lived as a man, gave his life in sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And because of what he did, I have put my faith and trust in him. So therefore, I know that I'm going to heaven. But you haven't answered my question. Am I going to hell? Well, do you believe in heaven? Not really. Then why do you care if you're going to hell or not? You see, that's kind of the circumstance of what has taken place. I don't want a ruler to come and tell me what to do, even though I don't believe that he's really who he says he is. And I think that's so much like the world that we live in. I don't want to have to submit to somebody that I really don't want to believe in but I'm really concerned as to whether or not I should. Kind of awkward, isn't it? Kind of crazy line of thinking, isn't it? But not only that, the mindset is, I don't want to believe in a God that has control over my life because I'm my own boss. But as a child of God who has put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, What know you not that your body is the what? temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which you have of God and you're bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are his so we belong to him as his child but not only was Jesus coming to be a ruler number two it says in the same text in uh, Matthew chapter 2 verse 6 because out of you will come a ruler and number two who will shepherd my people Israel he would be a shepherd who would care for his sheep it's an amazing thing. Uh, this last week, I finished a master's class in leadership. And one of the assignments that I had to do was to write a philosophy of leadership paper. And as we looked at this, we looked at the idea of shepherding and what it means to shepherd. And what I realized, and I didn't know before the class, in one of the books that I um, dictated from, was that a shepherd can be... From, or can come from two different perspectives. There's an Eastern perspective and a Western perspective. In a, in a Western perspective, 
Sheep are herded like animals. In a Western culture, sheep are just herded like with horses, with dogs, with other means, but they're herded. In Western culture, they are led. Led. Or Eastern, I'm sorry, in East, thank you. Eastern culture, they are led. As I go, and you know what fits the biblical picture? Eastern. And we see that in John chapter 10. He says, we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. And it says, the sheep know their shepherd. They know their voice and a stranger they're not follow. It's an amazing concept to consider that Jesus Christ came down and really in that Eastern culture of shepherding would lead his people. But here's the interesting part about the sheep. The sheep have a willingness to follow. You see, when we're truly his sheep, we'll want to follow him as our shepherd. And it says in John 10, we know his voice. How can you know our shepherd's voice? By spending time with him. So as Jesus Christ came down to this earth, not only to be a ruler of the people, but to be the shepherd of the sheep. And the sheep's responsibility is to listen to the voice of the shepherd and to willingly follow. I wonder, are we doing that? Do we willingly follow? Do we listen to his voice? And how do we know his voice? Um, I think sometimes it's just that still small voice that says, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. As we commune with God, as we draw close to him through prayer. I've been amazed over the last several weeks how God has led in different ways. And someone said to me the other day, oh, how do you know God's telling you to do that? I, I don't know. I just feel like if, if God brings somebody's name to my mind, and there's no apparent real reason that I know of for it to be in my mind, I should probably just take a moment and pray for that person. So that's what I've been trying to do the last several months. Is if somebody comes to my mind, and I don't really know why, I just take a moment and pray for them. And here's the thing. I've been amazed over the last month how God has used that. I had a friend, as I shared a couple weeks ago, and I said, you've been on my mind a lot. And he goes, there's probably a good reason for that. I'm going through some serious struggles. A couple weeks ago, actually a week and a half ago, God led someone else to my mind. And he said, I want you to go see this person. I said, I don't want to go see that person. You need to go see this person. I don't want to go see that person. But I'm not asking you if you wanted to go. I told you to go see this person. It's like I'm having a conversation with the Holy Spirit saying, I don't want to be obedient to you. And so I reluctantly went over there and tried to find the person. And the person's car was not there. And I'm like, yes! I don't have to look at him. His wife was there. And as I walked in the door, and she saw me, and we started a conversation, she broke down and started crying. It was the next day that this person who God told me to speak to called me back and said, thank you for loving on my wife. She's been hurting. It's a still, small voice. As we listen to the voice of our master, we're the sheep, he's the shepherd, he leads us, we know his voice, and we respond to it. That was one of the reasons he came down to this earth, is so that we might know him. Not only to seek and to save the lost and be the ruler of mankind, but to be the shepherd to the sheep who will willingly follow his voice. 
I wonder, what is God trying to speak to you about? What is it that God is asking you to do as his sheep? But a shepherd, not just a ruler, but a shepherd who will care for his sheep. What was Herod's response? We see this in verses 7 and 8. He says, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Outwardly, he acted as though he was interested in the birth of Jesus Christ. Inwardly, he was a hypocrite. As I was looking at that verse, I remember thinking to myself, Ouch. Ouch. You know why I say an ouch? Because I know that's true in my own life sometimes. And I think if we're honest, it's true in all of our lives at times. Outwardly, we want it to appear that we're all excited about being a child of God. Outwardly, we want to follow God. We're going to be at church when the doors are open. Woo! Outwardly, we're going to like put our tithes and our offerings in the, in, in the pot, and we're going to say, yes, woo! Outwardly, we're all in. Inwardly, I wonder how in we are at times. So I wonder, it's a little bit of, ouch, isn't a wake-up call to help us to realize that we need to be real. We need to be genuine, truly following Jesus Christ, not just outwardly, but inwardly as well. Because it's easy to do the outward, isn't it? I mean, we come to church every week, got Bible in hand, and boy, we're doing great. Pat answer, how you doing this week? Whoa, wonderful. And if the truth be known, truth be known, it's been a crummy week, a terrible week, where Satan has gotten the victory, and your attitude has stunk. But we're going to make sure everybody knows that things are good. Got my Bible, met church. Am I saying be a hypocrite? No. I'm saying oftentimes we are hypocritical. Just like King Herod. Oh, I want to know where the child is. I too want to come worship him. Was that really his heart? No. It really wasn't. Say, Pastor, this is supposed to be an encouraging Christmas message. Jesus Christ came down to this earth so that we would have a relationship with and in that relationship, we need to understand that there is a reality that we need to follow closely to him. So he would be a shepherd who would care. And Herod really didn't care on the outside or on the inside. So the wise men, they did exactly what Herod said, right? No, they defied him. Let me give you five responses. We know what Herod's response was. But what was the response of the wise men? And I think this is where we can learn from them. And we see this in verses 9 through 12. So let me go ahead and read those one more time. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. 
I think they responded in five ways. Number one, they searched for the baby Jesus by following the star. In other words, they did what they knew to do in that they followed what they were told to follow. They did what they, were, what they knew to do. You see, every one of us in this room have opportunities to follow Jesus. You say, well, I really don't know how to have devotions. I really don't know how to pray very well. I really don't know how to share my faith. But are you doing what you know to do? You see, that's where it all starts. The, the wise men here, as they were out looking, they followed the star. They knew that much, right? They knew that if they followed the star, they would find Jesus. They did what they knew to do. Are we at least doing that much in our walk with Jesus Christ? Are we doing what we know to do? I think that's something we can learn from the wise men. We may not have all the answers. I may not know how to do everything it is that I need to do, but am I doing what I know to do with what information I have? I think we can all learn from that. Number two, they responded with joy. They were overwhelmed with joy. I hate to say it, but some, some, some followers of Christ have lost their joy. They were excited years ago, but they're not really excited anymore. I mean, there was a time when they couldn't wait to come to church, couldn't wait to be around God's people, couldn't wait to see God answer prayer, couldn't wait to spend time in the Word, couldn't wait to tell someone else what God was doing in their life. And today, maybe you know someone like that. They've lost the joy. Maybe one thing that we can learn from the wise men is that when they found Him, they were excited. They were overwhelmed with joy. You say, Pastor, I've, I've lost that joy. You need to ask God to give you, restore the joy of your salvation. As the psalmist said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I think they responded in a third way. They fell on their knees and worshipped the Christ child. Isn't that amazing? Once they found him, Verse 11, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. They fell to their knees and worshipped the Christ child. When's the last time we truly worshipped? I'm not talking about how we sing. I'm not talking about the music that we choose. Because really, worship is a matter of the heart, is it not? I can worship Jesus apart from music. I can worship Jesus apart from a certain type of music. But I can't worship Jesus if my heart is not right. See, worship is always a matter of the heart, right? If my heart is not right, I can't truly worship. So what do I have to do to worship him correctly? Make sure my heart is right before him. They were excited. They entered the house where, or the place where Jesus was born and in humility, they knelt before him and worshipped him. But notice the fourth response of the wise men. See this in the next verse. Verse 8, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They presented the Christ child with gifts. In other words, if I could say it this way, their worship was not idol. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to give of themselves. 
I don't know that much about the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. I really don't. I've read articles. I've read commentaries. I don't really remember a whole lot of what I've read. But here's what I know. It cost them something. It cost them something. And I think sometimes we take Christianity flippantly and it costs us nothing when it costs Jesus Christ everything. Right? Is that true? He gave his life on a cross. It cost these, cost Jesus everything. And in response, the wise men wanted to give something back in return. We kind of assume sometimes, and that's why I sarcastically said there were only three wise men, because there were only three gifts. There must have only been three, right? How do we don't know? We don't, there may have been a band of them who sacrificed their time I dare say their money as it cost them as they traveled. Energy and sleep. It cost them something to search for the Jesus who would be born. And then they presented him with gifts. What do we present Jesus with? Are we willing to sacrifice time, treasure, talent? As we think about this year and serving Jesus, as we contemplate the Christmas time, why not contemplate what he would have us to give him in return? Rather than making it about gifts about what we give each other, make it about the gift that we would give Jesus Christ. Maybe he wants our time, our talents, our treasure. Then I think number five, they responded one more way they searched for the baby Jesus they were overwhelmed with joy they fell on their knees and worshipped the Christ child they presented the Christ child with gifts and then number five the last way they responded was they listened to and obeyed God's voice so how do I know that verse 12 and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their own country by another route when Jesus spoke to them they responded to his voice and obeyed what he said I think that's something we can all learn from responding to see a lot of us respond to what God says we all respond to what God says but do we respond with obedience you see by doing nothing we're responding by doing nothing we're responding but how much it would bless the heart of God to not just respond but to respond with obedience in this time frame of what's taking place when Jesus Christ was born we know that there was hatred we know that there was false piousness and hypocrisy going on we know that there was a ruler who was being a hypocrite. We knew that there was wise men following. Where, where in the picture do we fit? Who, who is it that we relate to? Do we relate to the Herods where we outwardly are excited, but inwardly our heart is far from? Or are we more like the shepherds who want that relationship with this baby who was born? Where do we fit in the story? 
hopefully we fit more along the lines with the shepherds and the wise men who bowed and respected and served. We have to understand that he came to his own, his own didn't receive him. And the world hated him. What's changing in a couple thousand years? Not a whole lot. Bottom line is we need to do what we know to do. Draw close to him. And God's word reminds us if we draw close to him, he will what? Draw close to us. Isn't that awesome? How does God want you to respond this Christmas season? What gift will you give him? <coughs> Someone said, and I read an article the other day, that the greatest gift that we can ever give is our time. Because once we give of our time, we can never get it back. We can give of material wealth. It's in our wallet one week, bank account one week, gone the next. But you work a little bit harder and you can regain it. But when you give God of your time, it's gone forever. It has the ability to have an eternal impact for the cause of Christ. What does God want you to do? As we think of closing this year, don't let Christmas just be a once a year thing, that we kind of the finale of the year. Let's look at it as something that reminds us and spurs us on for the next year, full year. And if you're here this morning, let me just say one more thing about gifts. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The greatest gift that any one of us could ever receive is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the price for it. You know, this year as we pass out our gifts around the Christmas tree or around the family time together, I'm not going to give a gift to my kids and say, oh, by the way, this one's going to cost you $74.25. No, we don't do that, do we? It's a gift from, not Santa. Santa had nothing to do with this one. It came from my wallet. But it's an opportunity for me to show love to my kids. And it didn't cost them nothing. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to beg for it. They don't have to. I just freely give it. And that's what Jesus Christ did. When he went to the cross, he freely, of his own free will, and as the one song states, no man did take his life, he gave his life. He gave it as a gift for mankind. Cost you nothing, cost him everything. That's the greatest gift. And it was only possible because Jesus Christ left the splendor of heaven, came down to the earth to dwell as man, to live his life, to be without sin, to be the perfect sacrifice so that you and I would have eternal life. Isn't that awesome? So as we consider this season, we're his sheep. He's our shepherd. Let's follow him. Let's listen for his voice and respond in obedience as the wise men did. Let's pray.